This is Mike Spreitzer from Devil Driver, and you're listening to Thunder Underground. Welcome to episode 299 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent and Jason here, as always. And this week, very cool, because we've got Mike Spreitzer, guitarist of Devil Driver, joining us. That's another one of those bands that I've loved since the beginning, so very glad to finally get a member of this band on here. And very glad that it's Mike, someone that's been there since almost the beginning. We'll be talking about their brand new album and a lot of other stuff here coming up. We're going to play some music. We've got, man, 299. We're one episode away from that big 300. Pretty crazy, huh? We're pretty old now. Yeah. Well, I'll save that for the next one, but I was like, man, 300 just seemed like out of reach a few years ago, but here we are. Not right. (laughs) But we're not 300 yet. We're at 299 with Mike Spritzer, so that's what we're going to deal with today. We're going to, no, man, I like that. That almost played in. We're going to deal with demons today. How about that? Dealing with demons, volume one. But first, we need to let you know, as always, we're sponsored by a few places, one of them being Hell Hot Hot Sauce. It's a hot sauce company based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. They do small batch artisan hot sauces, and you can see their selection on their website, hellahothotsauce.com. You can also follow them on their socials. Facebook and Instagram are both at Hella Hot Hot Sauce. They do collaborations. They've got one with Ghoul called Brain Jerk, and they've got one with Florida Frank from Hatebreed called Florida Frank's Florida Heat. We've got some of that. It's great tasting, but it'll clean your insides out. If no you get, kidding. If you get a little too much of it. Yeah. If you're constipated, you don't need to go you don't need to go to the store and get any any kind of medicine. Just get some of Florida <laughs> Frank's Florida Heat. And we don't uh, mean that negatively. No, no. This is good. I mean, it's great flavor. Clean you the hell out. Yeah, absolutely. So check, In the best way. Yeah. So check all those out at hellahothotsauce.com. And of course, tell them Thunder Underground. Since if you're on the West Coast, by the way, you can pick them up in stores. So do that. Med Farm is a dispensary located in Broken Air, Oklahoma, 24683 East Highway 51. You can see their entire selection of products at leafly.com. Check out their website, medfarmok.com, and their socials, medfarmok on Instagram and medfarm on Facebook. That's P-H-A-R-M. They're always running specials on there. They also have an ongoing special, which is if you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order. So a huge thank you to them for that. And they've got a drive-thru. So if you call ahead or text ahead, can fly right up there and get your product and get get on your way. The most important thing is that nearly a third of their profits, 30% of it, is going to build no-kill animal shelters, which is a massive thing that not just any dispensary, most any business doesn't do stuff like that. So they're giving away nearly a third of what they're making to an amazing cause. So wherever you're at in the Tulsa area, get over to Med Farm and mention Thunder Underground. Sunset Tattoo, tattoo shop located in right in the heart of Midtown Tulsa. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed. They are mother approved. Jake and his crew have over 25 years of experience. They do a ton of great work. If you don't believe my words, get on their Facebook or their Instagram at Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. And then you can see pictures to get proof that way. Both of us know people that have had work by Jake done. We know that it's done, like you said, good and proper, and it looks good. So get over there, give them a shout, 
have a consultation to talk about what work you need to get done and tell them Thunder Underground sent you. Finally, DEB Concerts is a promoter based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Keeps bringing some great acts to the downtown Tulsa area, like the Ideal Ballroom, the BOK Center, and they also book the Roadhouse Stage every year at Rocklahoma. Coming up here on December 12th, Lita Ford will return to the Ideal Ballroom, but this will be a socially distanced acoustic show, which is something different from Lita, so very cool. She'll be playing acoustically with Patrick Kennison. And Palandria will also be playing acoustic open in that show. And Eddie Trunk will be hosting that show. So we got a lot of names there. If you're in the Oklahoma area, get over there on December 12th to check that one out. And coming up in a few months, recently announced, April 10th, downtown Tulsa in the streets in front of IDL Ballroom. Queensryche, Lita Ford, Nita Strauss, and the reunited all-original members of the Bullet Boys. Very, very, very cool lineup right there, I think. What do you think? Uh, that's going to be a good one. Yeah. Uh, Queen's Rock with Todd LaTorre is amazing, by the way. Yes, they're great. And really looking forward to seeing Nita Strauss solo. There's another one for you guys to check out. DEBconcerts.com is where all the ticket info's at. You can also be kept up to date on any future announcements and any reschedules of any of the postponed stuff. And, of course, we'll keep you up to date right here on our podcast as well. So huge thank you to DEB Concerts. All right, before we get into this interview with Mike Spritzer, let's play some music. Right. I'm going to play a band right now out of Denver, Colorado. So let's jump into this right here. This is Bound by Years, and the song is called Hopeless. <laughs>
Hopeless from Bound by Years. That track is from their EP that came out in 2018. They've also got a brand new full-length album coming out December 12th called What Fate May Bring. You can get on boundbyyears.com to pre-order that bad boy. Or wait till the 12th and buy it that way. Right. But based off of this EP, Nat Song Hopeless, really looking forward to this album because that was, as Jamie Josta would say, a banger. For sure. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, when that shit comes out, let's, you know, get them get back on here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very cool. Goes well, I believe, with the Devil Driver episode. Some great, great metal with some heavy vocals, some clean vocals, some killer guitar work, and some all kinds of cool stuff going throughout this. And kind of a shout out here, good friend Crystal Carnes, who co-hosts the Marriage on the Rocks podcast with her husband Seth, turned me on to these guys because her cousin Sean Gonzalez is one of the guitarists of this band. So shout out to Crystal for letting us know about Bound by Years and really looking forward to hearing their new album. And like you said, might have to try to get someone on this podcast. Oh, definitely. When that when that new shit comes out, for sure. Yeah. So check out Bound by Years. You can see them at boundbyyears.com. Facebook is Bound by Years, and Instagram is at, you guessed it, Bound by Years. And tell them you heard about them here. All right, is there anything else we should talk about before we jump into Devil Driver? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, we got it covered. Yeah, this is kind of the our second episode this week. We talked about the new ACDC album, mm-hmm. Power Up, on our episode right. with Paige Hamilton a few days ago. We've got two new videos out. Dark Tranquility's new album, Moment, comes out tomorrow, Friday the 20th. It's a killer album. We have a video of that on our fa- on our YouTube. A video review of that. We've also got a video review of the brand new Hatebreed album called Weight of the False Self that comes out next Friday, November 27th. Mm-hmm. As we dubbed on that that video, that is no longer Black Friday. It's now Hatebreed Friday. Right, right. The, I mean, that the, album is killer too. Sorry to cut you off. The, the only other thing that I would know to talk about, but I can't really say much, is that Metallica stream last night. Oh, yeah. Just because the set list was nuts. Yeah, we hadn't got to see it, but based off that set list, both of them like, we got to see this thing. I'm stupid when it comes to technology. I, I, I don't know how to watch this thing on my fucking TV unless it's some, on YouTube or something. But Wasting My Hate, yeah, they fucking played that like for the first time in God knows how long. That's insane. And they did like uh, <laughs> an electric version of their reimagined acoustic version of Disposable Heroes. Right. <laughs> it's like, I mean, from, from my understanding. The live like, debut of the yeah, blackened acoustic. Yeah, it's like. I gotta fucking see this somehow. Yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta figure some technology out or something. <laughs> so, uh, you know. So yeah, that, that that's something cool, but that's really all that. Well, after the the Metallica drive-in generic set list, it was exciting to see this. Yes, yes, definitely. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it, moving right along. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe by the next episode or two, we'll have been able to check this out and right. talk a little more about it, but. Yeah, I guess until then, we got to talk about Devil Driver. They've got a brand new album. This album came out, man, over a month ago now, and we talked to Mike over a month ago as well, which has been our kind of ongoing theme here the last several weeks, where we have so many recorded episodes in the can that 
these aren't coming out for over a month after we record them, which, you know, in a way I'm like, man, I want to get this out, but you can't. You know, it's not like if this was our only thing we did in life and we made a shitload of money off it, maybe we'd put out episodes yeah. every two days, but exactly, that's not the real world. Yeah. So anyway, we've got albums, I mean albums, we've got episodes, <laughs> interviews coming out here four or five weeks after recording them. And Mike Spritzer is no different, but this was a fun one because we talked about dealing with demons volume one, which came out, like I said, early October. Dealing with Demons Volume 2 will be out in 2021 sometime. And if it's, we know it'll be something similar to Volume 1, which is a good sign because this is a killer album. It's even got some clean vocals from Des, which is killer as well. We talked about that with Mike. Talked about some other great stuff. Also a little Eddie Van Halen there towards the end, which was included with our Eddie Van Halen episode a few weeks ago. And he, he got to meet Eddie Van Halen. That's right. So that's, yeah, that's great. That's a good take. Yeah. You'll hear all about that coming up right now. So let's just jump into it here. Here's Mike Spritzer, guitarist of Devil Driver. Demons 1 is out now, and I mean, this album was, you know, actually completed in 2019, and then, of course, with COVID and everything, got it pushed back. Was it kind of frustrating to have to set on new music for that long? Uh, you know, I keep on telling people that I find comfort in the fact that we don't have a choice, <laughs> you know, yeah. and we've been on tour for so much over the last 16 years that... Um, time comes around for a break you know it kind of is what it is and i'm still working on music you know i'm mixing records for bands and doing some producing here and there i've got another wednesday 13 record that's good we're gonna start i think in january and you know i as long as i can surf make some money and work on music you know i'm the happiest man alive so <laughs> uh, i try not to let it affect me too much and talk about the idea to do a concept album with with this one. You know, as far as far as it being a you know quote unquote concept record, you know that's a question. You know, the, the concept kind of lies in the lyrics, and that's more of a a question for Des. But as far as just doing a double record, you know, that was an idea that Des had floated around for a long time. You know, I would say at least the last ten years, and. We never did it, but, you know, until now. But I feel now was the best time to do it because, you know, me, Neil, and Austin just were just starting to get to know each other when we were working on Trust No One. You know, we had never met before. We kind of got thrown in a room together, and it was like, go write a record. You know, I had written a good majority of it by that time already um, by myself, and... But now, after being out on tour with those guys, you know, doing Trust No One, doing the Outlaws record, you know, it was it was an easy record, you know. And judging by what I knew about those two guys and knew that I was going to be stuck with them writing for a very long time and then also in the studio for a long time, 
you know, I didn't have a problem with it because I really like being around him, you know, and we enjoy working together. And it was probably the most fun record that I've ever done since I joined the band. It was just, it was fun. And, you know, there are parts, you know, there are some frustrations here and there, um, but it was, it was minimal, very minimal. So did you guys record one and two at the same time or is two still something that needs to be recorded? No, they're all completely done. We did all all 20 songs all at the same time. We had okay. no idea what songs were going to go on each which record until they were they were done, you know. And you got you got to understand too that when me Austin, Neil and our producer Steve Evitz, you know, when we're done recording the vocal or uh, the music, we still have no idea what the vocals are going to sound like. You know, Des gets the songs in the demo phase before we actually, you know, after we do pre-production at, at my studio. So he's got an idea of what the songs are going to be like, and he'll start writing while we're in the studio recording the music. But we've never been the type of band to all get together and jam in a room all the songs before we go in. Now, we did do this with the music, but it was just me... Neil, Austin, and Steve, you know, and Des would show up from time to time and see how things are going. And we always liked it when he came by because he always brought food with him. <laughs> but, um, you know, this is how Des likes to do things. And, um, you know, sometimes you can have too many cooks in the kitchen when you got, a, you got the full band in there, you know, and, you know, the three of us work really well together. And it's just, I kind of just, you know, I like the way things are working for us right now. And, you know, the only thing that was different about this record is, you know, compared to Trust No One is that we just had a different producer and uh, um, nothing against Mark or any of the other people that we've worked with in the past. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's nice to just get a different perspective from a different person that's been producing a very long time. I mean, even though you said the concept thing was kind of on Des with the lyrics, but like, do you know, are the, I mean, are the two albums like meant to be one big concept or they kind of both stand on their own in that sense? Uh, I see it more as one big concept because if they weren't, they wouldn't be called volume one and volume two. They probably would have their own titles. Right. Also in the, the song Wishing... You got clean vocals from Des, which isn't really common in Devil Driver, at least. What What are your thoughts on expanding your guys' sound kind of in that way? You know, like I said before, I'm not really familiar with what Des is going to do on a particular song until it's after our, it's already done. And Steve sent me that song after they recorded it. And, you know, it gave me goosebumps. I was like, dude, this is amazing. And Des had a little bit of a moment where he wasn't so sure if we should go that direction and was contemplating re-recording the verses and getting rid of the clean vocals. But um, I think Steve, <laughs> I think he called me and told me that Des was on the fence about it. So I, I immediately called him and was like, dude, just trust me. I, I understand why you're worried about releasing something like this. And you have every right to be. But I promise you, this is so good that I think we should release this as the third or fourth single off you know, volume one. And it should be on volume one. And people need to hear it early on. And 
you know, after that conversation, everything stayed the same. But, you know, knowing now what Dez can do and the fact that we've been a band for so long, you know, I think we're it's somewhat we're not really proving to the community that what we are now it's at the point where, you know, we're proving to people, can we still do it? You know, can we still write good music and put it out after all this time? You know, and a lot of bands have a tendency to struggle with that as they get older. But now that I know Des can do stuff like that, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that just broke down another wall that I was up against. You know, it's just just write music that Des is going to scream over. And I I know I don't have to do that anymore. So I'm definitely going to start throwing Des some curveballs and... You know, he'd probably call me up and be like, what the hell do you want me to do over this part? And I'm like, well, you know, look what you did with wishing. Kind of go in that direction. See what you can do, you know. And if you hit a roadblock, just let me know and I'll rewrite it. But take a stab at it. And so I'm definitely going to be doing some of that stuff in the future now. It's uh, a direction I can go that I've never been able to go before. Well, you mentioned Outlaws and you guys have already said there'd be a volume two here in within two or three years, maybe like, do you guys already have songs decided for that? Or is that something that'll happen once the time comes? I don't think there's ever going to be a volume two personally. Okay. You know, it's, I suppose it's possible, but I think we've done enough cover songs at this point. You know, we've done Iron Maiden, we've done Metallica, we've done 16 horsepower. We've done a million other, you know, they're all the, different bands or people that we covered songs on the outlaw record you know and also sale it's uh you know i think we've uh we've done enough for now not to say that we'll never do it but um it's it's not something that's a priority for me gotcha well you mentioned neil earlier and he kind of came into the band from mainly non-metal projects what was him that kind of put you on you put him on your guys radar he was not on my radar, and actually, I was before I met him. I was a little concerned be, because, you know, of his past. You know, playing with you know David Cook from American Idol, and you know the other bands that he had been in. You know, weren't. It seemed like an unlikely choice, right? But uh he and des have been friends for a couple years they're both of their wives all three of us me neil and des had all owned a harlequin great dane at one point and um my great dane who actually just passed away about a month ago and um his great dane uh came from the same mother so they were (laughs) half brother or uh half brother half sister and his is still around. And unfortunately, Neil's also passed away about a year ago. But uh, Neil's wife and Des's wife somehow started contacting each other because of the Great Danes over Instagram. They became friends. You know, Neil would, you know, head down to Des's house, hang out. They would drink. And uh, so they, they became close. Um, I wasn't convinced on Neil until he came over to my house to try out and I made him play the song Dead to Rights, which is one of the trickier songs to play on guitar. And so I figured, like, if he can play this, we, he can play anything in our catalog. And 
you know, he played it extremely well. I liked his vibe and I was, it was like an immediate change. I was just like, you know what? Sold Des, you were totally right. This is the guy. And, uh, you know, he basically threw me and Austin and Neil (laughs) into my studio at my house and they were like, go write a record. Right. And most of trust, no one had been written already by that point, but you know, I didn't want to write that record completely on my own. I I work better when I'm collaborating with people. And um, it was a fun process, you know. It's like me, Neil, and Austin, we clicked immediately. We became friends really quickly. And, you know, it's just a lot of fun and a lot of laughs. And um, I think Trust No One was just kind of getting us started. And Outlaws kind of smoothed the path of us working together. And then when we got to dealing with demons, it was like, oh, okay, I get to go do a record with some of my best friends. Cool. You know, and I'm, I'm sure they felt the same way. So now after that time has passed, how, how do you guys feel? How do you feel you guys compliment each other's guitar players? Neil, uh, I would say that I shine in the rhythm department and Neil shines in the lead department. He is definitely a better soloist than I am. And I I want to say part of the reason why is because he, he plays guitar right-handed, but he's left-handed. And so his dominant hand is on the fretboard, where my, my dominant hand is over the pickups. And weird rhythms on my right hand come to me very easily. And um, I just have this way of, you know, plucking the strings that has a little bit more bite and high end than Neil does. And he has, when he, he can play through the same exact guitar, through the same amp, everything. And when he picks up that guitar, he's going to have a lot more low end coming out of it. It just sounds bassier. And our producer, Steve Evans, thought that would complement each other very well. So, you know, on 90% of the records, um, I think, I think just except for two songs, you know, I'm always playing on one side and Neil's playing other, you know, on the right side as far as uh, rhythms go. But he has definitely pushed me in a different direction as far as leads and solos go because he's so good at it that it's kind of changed my way of thinking about how to go around it. And, you know, I think I've pushed him in a direction where he's done things from a rhythm standpoint that uh, he hasn't hasn't done before. You know, he uh, wasn't really in a position back in the day where he had to do the super fast tremolo picking, you know, through, you know, for minutes on end, depending on what song we're playing. And, uh, you know, so we, we do complement each other very well. You know, it's like where I have weaknesses, he has strengths and vice versa. Well, you mentioned, like, kind of just going into the studio with him and Austin and when you were still completing the writing process like so were you totally open to letting you know two guys that hadn't been a part of the band be a part of your writing process like taking all their input uh i was unsure at first obviously but over time and it didn't take that much time at all i would say over the course of maybe a week or two you know after seeing some of their ideas and yeah i mean i kind of welcomed them with open open arms and it's uh like i said it was easy you know it's just it was easy it was fun 
trust no one at, as well as the outlaw records and or outlaw record and as well demon dealing with demons um you know, I didn't want to be that guy. I know what it feels like when I joined the band, you know. Um, some of the other guys were not really enthused about letting me write. And, you know, I came from a much different background where I, I was into a lot of industrial and goth music. Still am. And I think that was taking my writing into a direction that the other guys didn't really like. Or some of the other guys didn't really like, but things kind of worked out in my favor because I didn't really write a whole lot for Fury of Our Maker's Hand, but I did write Hold Back the Day. And, you know, we were with Roadrunner at the time, and, you know, our guy there, Monty Connor, who, you know, is, has a big say on what songs were going to get released first, he really wanted Hold Back the Day to be released first. And um, I remember some of the other guys really wanted it to be end of the line first, but Monty was insistent on it. So that kind of gave me a little bit of a boost and Monty helped encourage the other guys to kind of drop their walls down with me and let me write a little bit more. And as every record came along, you know, I, I wrote a little bit more, bit more and, um, you know, it takes time. You know, when you, when you join a band, it's kind of like joining a new club and you got to work your way up a little bit until you can start, you know, <laughs> laying down your art on everybody. <laughs> but uh, so I didn't want to be that guy that just kind of rejects, you know, the new guys and be like, nope, I'm going to write it all. Because I have found over time that I do write better music when I'm collaborating with people because I'm, I'm very indecisive sometimes. Sometimes I'll, you know, it's. Yeah, I know what I want, I know what I like, and I know what I hate, but sometimes I'll write five things that I like, and I don't know which one to use, and it's nice to have Austin and Neil there going like, all right, guys, help me out here. Yeah. <laughs> out of these five ideas, which one do you like the best? And usually Neil and Austin agree immediately, and they're like, dude, option B, you know, uh, without a doubt. I'm like, good, now I can move on. And you know, Sometimes I, I don't like to make decisions. You know, I want other people to make them for me because... You know, the listener perceives music different than the writer does. And I want someone that has a perception on what I'm doing to help me make a decision sometimes, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. Shifting gears a little bit, you know, you guys have worked with a lot of great producers throughout the years. What, what have you picked up from them along the way, you know, for your own work and your own production work well luckily most producers at least all the ones that i've worked with you know they're a lot like me they like talking about gear they like talking about how they do things in the studio um swapping ideas and you know i've learned a tremendous amount of, about production from working with you know logan Maynard, uh jason sukoff Mark Lewis and uh, Steve Evans, and you know I, you know I I haven't talked to Logan a whole lot since uh, we finished Pray for Villains, but you know I still keep in touch with Jason, Mark, and Steve on a very regular basis. Um, you know we're all friends; we'll text each other, and you know every time that I'm going to buy a new piece of gear from my studio, I almost always consult one or all of them first, you know, it's like, okay, I need, 
I want this piece of gear and I know there, these are the five examples, like, you know, what are your thoughts and on all these things? And, um, you know, a lot of this stuff is pretty expensive. So I, I want to, you know, make sure I'm buying something good that I'm going to like. And they got a pretty good indication of what I like and what I don't like these days. And, you know, it goes back and forth, you know, like I was working with, um, you know, this company angle recently and, you know, I wanted one of their amps and we had all used a bunch of them in the past, but the one that I liked the best was one that none of us had ever used before. It was called this, you know, it's called an artist edition and, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, it goes back and forth, you know, they see me on Instagram trying all these amps and, you know, they'll text me like, okay, which one did you like the best? Oh, you like that one? Why? And, you know, we just, we go back and forth about gear constantly. It's, uh, it's like baseball fanatics talking about baseball in their spare time. We like to talk about gear. <laughs> in an interview last year, Des had mentioned that in a few years he was wanting to take an extended break from Devil Driver. Have you, if that ends up happening, have you given any thought to what you might do musically during that time? Or would you think you'd focus more on production? I think you should be careful about what he asked for because apparently he's getting it right now. <laughs> well, for, yeah. Uh, I was unaware of that statement, but um, I don't know. Like, Des has thrown out ideas of us taking breaks from the road and taking a break from Devil Driver, and and you know what? I'm if he ever hears this, I'm sure he's going to agree with me on what I'm about to say. Des can't take a break. He needs something to do. He likes going out on tour. He likes being on stage. He likes working on music. I think he knows that he probably should take a break, but he ain't never going to take a break. It's just not his style. Well, like you said, you're getting a free break, I guess, right now. So <laughs> We're getting a mandatory, we don't have a choice break yeah. right now. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that statement is, is kind of, has been drowned out because here we are taking a break. And I mean, depending on how things go, I mean, it's going to be 2021, 2022, possibly until we're even back out on tour again. Right. Well, speaking of touring, I saw you guys on the Ozfest in 2004, which I think was your first tour with the band. And uh, that was my second. Okay. And you guys were on the second stage and that, that lineup of that second stage kind of became a who's who in metal with Slipknot, Lamb of God, Hate Breed, you guys, Lacuna Coil. Like, just kind of talk about the whole experience of doing that, especially in your early 20s. Well, okay, so, yeah, I mean, I was 23 years old. I was still in college. I had one year left. Um, my longtime girlfriend had just broken up with me, and... Uh, returned for her life uh, as a heroin addict so and then all of a sudden devil driver came along and it's like hey do you want to go out on tour and join the band and i was like fuck yeah i do get me the hell out of here <laughs> and uh um you know my first tour with the band was literally you know i had to learn the whole set list which it was short but i had to learn the whole set list basically overnight and they flew me to gothenburg to open up for in flames and that tour lasted for about three weeks and then i came home we went and recorded fury of our maker's hand and then after that we went out and did Ozfest. so 
dude, it was just like one good thing after another for me, you know, and just total life changing experiences. Um, you know, on top of the great lineup on the second stage in Ozfest 2004, you know, we had the original lineup of Black Sabbath. Uh, we had the original lineup of Judas Priest. It was the first, you know, I got to see the first show with uh, Rob Halford coming and rejoining Judas Priest. You know, Demi Borgir was there, Super Joint Ritual. I mean, it was just, there were so many good bands. And, I mean, I pretty much just spent the entire tour drunk off my ass for two months. <laughs> Just hanging out at the Jaeger booth, drinking, staying up late, you know, just doing everything possible outside of hard drugs. You know, it's just, we were always pretty good at staying away from the hard stuff, uh, or at least I was. But, um, yeah, I, I would do anything that you could imagine a 23-year-old doing out on a metal tour or out on Ozfest. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> And I did it. I did it well, and I did it as much as possible. And uh, dude, it was it was so much fun. It was just totally surreal. I did not want to go home. All the guys were like, oh, "I'm burned out. I'm ready to go home." I'm like, "I'm not ready to go home. I could stay out here for another two months if you asked me to." <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was a great time. You know, I started getting free guitars from ESP back then, and you know, just if it wasn't free, it was discounted and just you know tons of gear people coming at you and you would play my stuff play my stuff here's more free stuff and you know and you know here's a free bottle of jaeger here's some free beers you know and just uh, let me know if you need more here's a bottle of whiskey and just uh, you know so many potential bad things just laid out for you for free you know it's uh <laughs> It's a good recipe for trouble, but I welcomed it. It was fun. And luckily, you know, I, I've i never been the type of person to come home from tour and, you know, continue going to bars and drinking and whatever. You know, it's just like that's for me has always been something I do on tour. And when I'm at home, I hardly ever drink at all. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned about getting up early, go, going surfing and losing all the weight that I gained on tour. <laughs> yeah just winding down a couple more here kind of back to the pandemic stuff um, how, how have you personally how have you dealt with the pandemic and kept yourself busy I'm busier now than I was before the pandemic believe <laughs> it or not Good. Yeah, you know I'm mixing bands right now I've you know done some recordings with uh, some bands in LA and I've got stuff down the road that I'm doing later this year I've got something planned for January um, you know, and they did close the beaches around here for a short time, but I was either, you know, finding surf spots that, you know, the police weren't patrolling or, uh, you know, went to a different county, you know, like LA County was pretty strict. Orange County was kind of like, fuck you, we're not closing shit. <laughs> and eventually they did, but the lifeguards we're only enforcing it in a loose way. Like, all right, well, you can't surf here, but we're not going to kick you out until 11 a.m. And most surfers are done surfing by 11 a.m. around here anyway, and they know that. So they would go park their boat out, you know, in Huntington Beach, where I usually go, and 
they would just like, all right, everyone, you get, you know, surfers hate paddling in. You, you know, you like to take a wave in and then get out of the water. If you paddle in, you just kind of feel like you're a failure at the end of the day. <laughs> and, you know, the lifeguards were being really cool, you know, just like, all right, guys, one more wave and don't paddle back out. You know, we don't like doing this anymore than you guys do, but, you know, we have to. But so, you know, it hasn't really affected me a whole lot. You know, I'm one of, I'm very thankful and I almost feel bad saying it, but you know, things are good for me. I can still work on music, I can still surf, I'm still making money. Um I haven't had to go on unemployment. I haven't taken any kind of like um government assistance in any shape or form. It's uh you know, things are good. You know, I'm I'm I very very happy right now you know i got an awesome girlfriend and we've been hanging out a lot and i just got myself a dog uh two weeks ago and uh yeah you know i honestly i couldn't be happier right now that's good to hear we're putting together an episode a tribute episode to eddie van halen and we're asking a lot of past guests just like talk about any impact he might have had on them did he have any impact on you personally at a young age of course, you know, my oldest brother and sister uh, were teenagers in the 80s, and, you know, I, I was born in 81, so I was pretty young, and luckily they were watching, I'm sure they had a big influence on me as a kid getting into music, because they were watching MTV, and, you know, we only had one TV back then in the house, and so I was watching MTV with them, because, you know, my older brother and sister, they were they were super cool to me and um you know the my sister definitely listened to van halen quite a bit and you know just i was i would never consider myself a huge van halen fan but i mean you can't deny the guy's guitar playing i mean it is just so incredible and Eddie has had more of an influence on me just because of the, his guitar tone and the amps that he helped design back in the day. You know, uh, the PV5150 block letter, which I believe was the first amp that um, came out that he put his name on. I mean, I still use it. We just, you know, I, like, you know, we use it a lot on dealing with demons. It's a fantastic sounding amp, you know, and, um, I would say that's where he's influenced me the most rather than writing. It's just straight guitar tone. And uh, I did get to meet him once. Um, I never got to see him live, but I did get to meet him briefly. One of my uh, good friends is the senior photographer for Guitar Center. And at the time, my my girlfriend at the time was doing hair and makeup for all those photo sessions. So I tagged along one day and, you know, when the, they were shooting uh, Eddie and you know, I got to meet him and hang out with him very briefly. He was, he was super cool. He was super pro, really nice guy. And uh, I'm very bummed that I'd never got to see him live, but I uh, am thankful that I got to meet him in person at least once. Well, I mean, you kind of mentioned it with the, with the amps and the tone, like what do you think impact he might've had on you or like anyone in like heavier music, like devil driver is because most people just talk about the shredding or the, you know, the party vibe of Van Halen. 
I don't think anyone in Devil Driver has ever been a massive Van Halen fan. So I, as far as writing goes, I don't think that he's had a massive in any or almost any kind of influence on us directly. But Eddie had so much influence on other people. You know, like Jerry Cantrell was a you know Eddie was a big inspiration for Jerry and also Dimebag as well. And Jerry's one of my it probably is my all-time favorite guitar player and so there's definitely an indirect influence on me that you know eddie channeling through jerry and then channeling through me so i mean eddie has influenced everyone he's kind of like genghis khan you know they say that like one out of every five people in the world is somehow related to genghis khan because he, he just had so many children over his <laughs> lifetime yeah i feel like Eddie is the Genghis Khan of the guitar world. He's just like, if you play guitar, you know, somehow he's had some influence on you, either directly or indirectly. Right. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we appreciate you taking the time with us today. Yeah, no problems. Good talking to you guys. There you go. Mike Spritzer of Devil Driver. A huge thank you to John Freeman of Freeman Promotions for his continued support of our humble podcast here and of course a massive thank you to Mike Spritzer for taking some time out there to talk to us about everything he's got going on with Devil Driver and of course some other great stuff you just heard glad to finally get this one out if you missed it earlier this week we had Paige Hamilton of Helmet which we also recorded that one about a month ago and hey coming up we've got episodes with Michael the vocalist for Dark Tranquility John Karabi the mighty John Karabi. Reb Beach, one of the guitar's fondest friends, in my opinion. <laughs> I like how sounds, you did that. Yeah, I was nice. trying to think of a weird way to say that he's an amazing guitarist. Go you. Reb Beach of Winger and White Snake. Eric the Trainer, celebrity fitness trainer, which has a new band out, which is why we've got him coming on. We've got N Theory coming up. We've got Frederick from... You know him from Dragon Force, but he left them a year ago, and now he's in Creator. And he has a new band as well that he talks all about on that episode. We've also got one coming up with Matthew Nelson, one half of the Nelson Twins. Then we've got one coming up with, I'm missing something, our buddy Eric Bass. And Mitch Perry will be returning to this podcast as well. And like I mentioned beforehand, we recently had an episode which was an Eddie Van Halen tribute, like you heard Mike talk about there. We also had Paige Hamilton on that one, Tyler Bryant, Mitch Perry, Frank Hannon of Tesla, Mark Slaughter, Robin McCauley, Jim Wilson of Motor Sister and the Rollins Band. A long-ass list, so dig through that. Check out that episode. It's very cool. We've had on past episodes with guys from Seven Dust, Hate Breed, Super Joint, Avatar, Megadeth, Testament, Toxic Holocaust, Guns N' Roses. Shine Down, Kiss, Tesla, a long ass list. 298 previous episodes you can check into. You can listen to us pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard. Wherever you listen, be sure and subscribe or follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Subscribe to us on YouTube as well. We've got those reviews of Hate Breed and Dark Tranquility I mentioned earlier. We've also got recent ones about Alter Bridge and Metallica. All kinds of stuff on there as well. 
Follow us on all our socials. You can see all those at thethunderunderground.com. You can even listen to the podcast there. There's reviews up, all kinds of stuff. But yeah, I think that covers it for another one. Besides all those bands that I just mentioned a minute ago, I forgot to mention one, and that was Severmind. And they will be on the very next episode, episode 300. That's right. They've been on... They've been on episode 100, episode 200, and of course now 300. So my guess is I'll probably be on episode 400, but you'll have to wait and see. I hope. If Robert Plant's available that week, I'm going to have to kick Derek Sanders to the curb. I'm sorry. Or James Hetfield or Slash. So there's there's the three people that will. Right. Anyone else will get episode 399 or 401. Triumvirate. Yeah, but those three guys will bump Severmind for 400. <laughs> I'm calling it now. Right. All right. We'll look forward to that one next week. If you didn't check out Paige Hamilton earlier this week, once again, thank you to Freeman Promotions and Mike Spritzer. Thank you to Hella Hot Hot Sauce, Sunset Tattoo, Med Farm, and DEB Concerts. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. Thunder Underground.